opportunity to talk to Scout Durwood over Zoom video. You might recognize her from the Oxygen show, Funny Girls. She was also on the MTV show, Mary and Jane. She was nominated for a Streamy Award for Best Independent Series for her original musical called Take One Thing Off. But she was born and raised in Kansas, went to college in Boston, and then ended up moving to New York. And she was a huge part of the burlesque scene in New York. And that's where she got her foot into acting and also comedy, where she worked as the MC for a burlesque show. She's always mixed comedy with music, so all of her records are, are comedy songs. She talked about putting out her first record, Take One Thing Off, and then that ended up turning into a series. And like I said earlier, was nominated for a streaming award and did very, very well all across YouTube. So she tells us a lot about that, moving to Los Angeles, how COVID affected this next record she put out called Electronica Volume 2, but it was supposed to just be called Comedy Electronica. They had to split it up into two volumes due to COVID, but she's released videos for all the songs on Comedy Electronica as well, and she talked to us about selling a script for a new television show. You can watch our interview with Scout on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It'd be awesome if you subscribe to our YouTube channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Scout Durwood. My name's Adam, and this is all about you and your music career. That's cool. I know you're a big comedian and also an actress, and, and you've got a lot of things happening, but I'd love to focus on your music if that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So first off, where were you born and raised? I was born in Kansas City, and that's where I grew up as well. Yeah. What was that like? Uh, I love Kansas City. I've like kind of re-fallen in love with it over the pandemic. I went back a couple times, and I think a town's really different when you're there, you know, kind of as a kid versus as an adult. But I had a pretty like, you know, like run around with the neighborhood kids childhood, and it was it was really great. Yeah. Were you all? Did you always know that you're pretty funny? I mean, was that like something that kind of came natural? <laughs> Uh, no, I, I don't think I thought of myself as funny until like college or the year after. Oh, no, really? I always thought I was very dramatic, but I also was, I mean, look, I think comedy is like a tool you figure out as you go through life where you're like, this makes everything better and easier. And like, it helps keep you in a positive frame of mind. You can, I find, I decided I wanted to be a comedian in a politics class in college because I would like, it was a big um, seminar and I would wait until the end of class and make a big comment and try to get everybody to laugh. And what I, and then I was like, oh my God, I want to be Jon Stewart because you can <laughs> get people to think of things differently when they're laughing. Like it's, it's just really hard to hate someone who's making you laugh. And so, yeah. Sure. No, that's, that, that's a great point. <laughs> but I was never the funny one. I was the straight man through high school I guess that's true. I went to a really small high school. And so my part, my acting partner, because we were kind of the two, the two ones, I guess. He was really funny. He's this like very like sinewy. And now he's a freaking Michelin star pastry chef. But he was funny. And so wow. I was always his straight man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just what got really good. Change. <laughs> I know. I mean, good for him. He can feed me. No, he lives in Europe. But um, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Well, how did you get into music? Singing came into my life so backwardsly, and I think that's like such a gift. Um, 
I was in New York and I was working in burlesque and my, <laughs> I always sang, but I didn't think much of it. And then Rent was doing a revival and my friend's like, you have to audition for Maureen. And I was like, I, you know, I've never been to an equity open call. I think I tried to go, go to one and I was like, this sucks. I'm out. <laughs> I was very interested. Yeah. in like the bohemian, I like ran a little theater company below 14th street. I worked in burlesque. So I went to this open call and it went down to two of us for Maureen from wow. like, yeah. And I had a manager at the time to act. And when that happened, she's like, girl, if you can sing, let's get you reps and get you working, you know, to the Broadway. So she sets up these meetings with agents where I have to sing an audition and I didn't end up signing with any of them, but the guy we hired to be my accompanist was the band leader at Dwayne Park, which is a big supper club down. Um, now it's, it's where Bowery Poetry used to be. So like, what is that? Like by NYU. Astro okay. Basement. Yeah. And so they were like, if you can sing, sing. And so that's what took me from going from, oh, which is like a, like a classic, like, you know, ball gown, singing, feeling good and all that stuff. And that was when like singing kind of became my job, but I did not land on a label. This is a good long paragraph of an answer. No, I, I love that. This is an amazing answer. I was, <laughs> yeah. I was in a backers presentation for a musical about a blues musician, Jennifer Magnus. And her label signed me. And that started this whole kind of, I guess, identity crisis of like, because originally I was like, I don't want to do comedy music because I think it's really limited. And then I did take one thing off and then immediately was like, no, I, I comedy is how I relate to the world. So that ended up being most successful as a digital series uh -huh. um, with 11 music videos and 11 um, like vignettes we picked up like a streaming nomination we screened yeah that's huge. yeah it was cool um and then the second album comedy electronica ended up getting split into two eps over the pandemic and the narrative version of it is a feature that's just getting finished now because we just hit a billion delays with oh, sure. so okay. i don't know what what's going to happen with it but so now now my life is very much like Hey Scout, what's going on? And I get to call shots, which I think is a fun, I think being a uh, polymath is hard. Like I think too many hyphens in your career is just death and I keep trying to get rid of them. But at the end of the day, I'm a comedian who loves to sing and writes and directs my own work. So that's amazing to do what you love, right? I mean, that's cool. So you never really saw yourself as a musician prior to that one audition? No, I saw myself as a live entertainer. And I've always, right. when that happened, I took six months of voice lessons from Shelly the Singing Siren, uh, another uh, burlesker who she's known for hip hop bra. She's like a Juilliard opera. I love that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and she took me from, I used to, I have kind of a scratchy, belty voice. And so I used to, it was like a, one of those like party tricks that I could sometimes do and sometimes not of just like belting these crazy notes. But I, I was singing in bar. I mean, I was singing in burlesque shows. So, mm -hmm. which I'll say like, now that I am around musicians, I'm like, y'all are so precious. Like if I have a mic that works, I feel like, Ooh, am I the queen? First time <laughs> I a monitor, I was like, this is so much better. But Shelly taught me how to like hone my voice. And so now I feel really confident and 
singing's like my favorite thing to do in the world, but the way I have gotten to do it is through comedy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, with that, rewinding back a bit to you and like, you know, did you ever learn an instrument growing up? Like, were you a piano player as a kid or like, I know you play like ukulele, right? Yeah. Well, okay. I took piano when I was a kid, but I was a weird kid. So <laughs> my piano teacher was like, talk to my mom and my sister took real piano and she can play. And my piano teacher just let me like, she'd be like, play what you feel like the color blue sounds like. And I just bang on the piano, which I regret <laughs> now. <laughs> so Was no. it just like, we'll just keep taking her mom's money? <laughs> I know. Yeah, right. Rachel, yeah, we want a refund. Sounds like whack. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was kind of not fair. No, I don't know. My sister can play piano, but no, I can play. I can bang things out. And then the ukulele came about because I wanted I didn't, as a comedian, I started doing comedy in my set and ukulele just has a really fast learning curve. Mm-hmm. So I'd go to my musician friends and they'd help me. I'd like hum a tune. They'd help me set up a chord progression. And for a long time, that was it. And now I play you like musically, mm-hmm. but for a long time, all I could do is hash through my like five stand-up songs. Oh, okay. Well, I'm curious to know. So you went to, to New York for a burlesque show that you started? Like, how, how did you get involved in that? And like, how did you make the move from Kansas City to New York? I went to school in Massachusetts. Um, and I, I think I always knew it was New York or LA. And I kind of told myself, I was like, I don't want to go to LA unless I have something going for me. Like, I think in my head, I was like, as soon as I'm repped, I'll move to LA. Uh, and at the time I, I, I've always imagined that I was going to spend most of my time acting, doing scripted comedy, which now I do, but it took a minute to get back to. <laughs> um, so it was always New York or LA. And I, I love, I mean, when you're young and especially at the time where like, it's like the internet exists, there's MySpace, there's Facebook, but you're using it just to get people to live sh- shows. And I'm a lesbian. And so queer nightlife was and is a huge part of like chosen family. So my whole world in the beginning of New York was like queer femme nightlife. Okay. And I would like go, go dance. Or like one time they were like, we need a fortune teller for this circus party. So I like put on a beard and was the bearded lady. And some guy was like, I can get you out of palm read. And I was like, great. And all night I was like reading palms. People were like, you're so good. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. But so that turned into Murray Hill um, had a show at the old zipper factory called Miss Les pageant. And it was like Mm -hmm. a downtown, all the parties represented, uh, sorry, someone represented all the, all the different parties. And then for my talent, everyone does something kind of cabaret e, And that just like eventually turned into doing burlesque because I was already like in that world. And then pretty quickly I became a host. And once I started emceeing, it's still essentially that's like what I think of as I'm doing is like, I'm just curating the audience through a series of experiences. And now in my career, most of those experiences are mine. Whereas in the beginning, I was mostly going, you're an ex performer. Sure. Um, yeah. But you, look, I, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, no. You go ahead. 
Um, that's the best thing about an interview. It's the most selfish conversation <laughs> next to therapy. This is well, the it's most like it, my my whole thing is is like no one cares. No one cares what I have to say. They're, they come here to hear what your story. Maybe they do, though. You don't, don't know. know. I don't think that. I don't think they do. <laughs> Maybe they do, but they'd rather hear what you have to say. All right. Uh, <laughs> twist my arm. Um, I love <laughs> I love cabaret. And I, I think I was really, really devastated when that live economy just kept getting thinner and thinner and thinner. And it took me a long time to figure out how to pivot. Um, and now I think music, I think music for me is what, cabaret once was where it's like I get to call my own shots and I'm on the little label and they're really supportive but whereas my theatrical career my writing career is much more oriented towards you know like making things that are on a network or that are sold or that have distribution my music career has always been like kind of just for me and anytime I've tried to go I'm you know I want to change that it's it's not as fun and look, I do comedy music, so it's it's a, just a very different economy. Mm-hmm. And with the comedy, yeah, because you're you do comedy music, like you said. But I'm curious to know. So, were you doing stand up prior to doing the comedy songs, or was that kind of something that was born together? Uh, I did stand up without music for a long time, uh, okay. but I just yeah, but I. I mean, I have kind of a love-hate relationship with stand-up. I think it's a really cool genre. I just don't think it's mine. I, the issue with stand-up for me is that the only way you're doing it right is if people are laughing. And I really enjoy a slightly fuller arc. Also, my humor tends to be like, it gets called literate, which I love. I think that's a very kind way of saying lightly inaccessible. <laughs> like, this is the college degree over there. <laughs> but I like... Um, I like, yeah, I like being my, I love emceeing because you create such a bond with this huge group of people. And it's like my job to create a space for these performers to have range. So like in New York at these big, like floating cabaret shows, you would get acts that were explicitly sexual and then something that was really slow and, and, you know, like a really kind of dramatic aerialist. And then you'd get comedy music. So I really liked being the person who like the avatar for the audience. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. But, Cause you can kind of guide the show, but you could also probably drop little funny one-liners in or kind of entertain as you move the show forward. You're almost hugely. directing and yeah. And being able to kind of be funny and do your thing as well. Right. And you have this arsenal of acts. So if you feel like the audience needs something, you can give it to them. You know what I mean? You sure. can go like, chill out. Let's get these guys happy again. Mm-hmm. Or you can like, I mean, I, yeah, I feel like I spent most of my early twenties just like sitting in people's laps in the audience and drinking their drinks. And then going, <laughs> that is not around. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. That's really cool. So, but you're in, you're in LA now or you moved to LA? I'm in LA. I've been in LA for a a while now, which is crazy to think about, but I kind of did it backwards in New York. I was like full-time burlesque. I always had hustle jobs, but like none of them that I kept for more than like, I don't know, a week. And then um, (laughs) they're going to be like a year, not a week. (laughs) A year. You out of your mind. (laughs) I was very like, uh, they're like, be here at 9am. And I was like, not going to work for me. I do quit. And thank you so much. (laughs) 
Oh, did you say 9 a.m.? Sorry, I'm not going to make that. All right. Yeah. I, <laughs> I was going, I just moved and I went through all my old, not, well, anyway, I was like looking through old books and there was like a page of mantras that was like, I can wake up at 9.30 a.m. I can wake up at 9.30 a.m. Because <laughs> I thought it was so early and I was like, I just want to get back down to single digits. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so then when I moved to LA, I took a step back and I waited tables for a year and was really desperately unhappy. And I felt like I had worked so hard building up this world that didn't matter in New York. So for me, it's really special to see like Bridget Everett go where she's going now, because it does feel like I love, I love these intimate connections between performer and audience. And like, I love a stadium show. I love Broadway, but there's something about literally breaking down the fourth wall, like not being able to afford it. That's so special. And now so much more happens digitally, which I love. I think the internet's such a cool medium. Like I know so much about things I wouldn't know about, but at the end of the day, I still think it's worth going to see it a performer in a room small enough that you can chat with them afterwards or, mm -hmm. or wave to them. Cause I, I just think that's so special. I, I, I think there's too much emphasis placed on like, yeah. Wanting to be whatever Dua Lipa Lipa or Lipa. I think it's Lipa, but we'll go with Lipa. I'm from Kansas. <laughs> Dua Lipa. <laughs> Dua Lipa. <laughs> Dua Lipa. <laughs> We're singing that great song about Stardust. What's it? Um, yeah, and like everyone should sing. Everyone should sing or or drum or bang a guitar against a tambourine. It's a wonderful feeling. Sure, sure. No, but I, I totally agree with you when it comes to like the more intimate settings where if you sing someone at a stadium, but there's something special about being able to meet the artist after. And I think comedy does a really great job of that, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, my wife and I and kids just moved to Nashville, but we were in San Diego for pretty much our whole lives and we'd go see comedy and like we you know david tell was there and he would just come hang out with people afterwards and i'm like this guy doesn't need to be doing this he's been in this scene for so long but it's probably just something he's always done so why is he gonna stop doing it but it's just yeah yeah go ahead. i was gonna say it's super cool that like that is that's part of the kind of culture totally part of the culture that that nails it i think it's because Comedians spend so much time. I guess musicians do too. I don't know. I went the first, well, those big stadium shows are crazy to me. And like, we went and saw Lady Gaga, which I don't have a strong opinion about either way, but my friend really liked her. And I'll say too, we got pretty high and then went and saw Lady Gaga. There you go. And it just <laughs> the only way like, to see Lady Gaga, really. Yeah, you gotta meet her. Crazy, but like, and the audience knew all the songs, and so you felt a little bit like I'm on a planet called Gaga Planet. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Where am but, I? <laughs> I? Right, and you know, but the show was like walk here, step here, change this outfit, and it was all very breathtaking and cool. But it was very funny hearing someone be like, "Be yourself, follow your heart, two steps to the right, hit your mark." You know, only you can dream your own dream. Like it felt a little <laughs> bit like. I, you know, in order to create that spectacle, you need choreography to it. Otherwise you'd freaking fall off the stage. But, you know, I remember like the first time I ever crowd surfed was at a Save Ferris concert. And I was like, I don't know, a little kid. And so when you're, when you're the little girl at a show, everyone's like crowd surfer. So, like, <laughs> just, and the venue was so small. So you'd be like, 
crowd start to the front and then the security guy would be like, hey, and set you down. And then you'd run all the way <laughs> run the around the barricade. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was like, it was so freaking fun. And I, yeah, I just think local music, music that touches you. And also as a queer person, like my shows in LA tend to be these very safe, queer spaces where everybody knows to be on their best behavior because I'll murder you otherwise. It's very much like my little playground where, you know, and it's cool to watch, like, we've had so many straight straight male comedians come up or talk to me or, or do their set in a way that, like, is just it speaks to a different audience and it's great. Like, mm -hmm. every, so many of my straight dude friends have admitted, like, crushes on boys or kissing a boy. And you're like, hell yeah, come play. <laughs> or you make them honorary queer folks. You know, queer is a state of mind, not, not a state of sexuality necessarily. So, yeah. I love that. That's really cool. So you still put on shows, obviously, in, in L.A. now. How That must have been hard to take that hit as far as COVID went. It was brutal, and I honestly quit. I was like, we had been doing a monthly show, mostly variety, called Everybody Go, Go. And I didn't want to do it digitally. We did, because we used to do a, we do one request line karaoke song for people to go get drinks at the bar. To be honest, I know. It's just a way to get the bar ring higher. Hello. <laughs> um, um so we started doing a karaoke show where people could request but it just it was so much time consuming and then i think when black lives matter really hit fever pitch it felt a little bit like this is our time to listen and learn mm -hmm. so when we came back i went to a friend's little birthday party and people started playing music and we all were singing and someone was like we missed the shows because we miss the community and people really want it right now. So we did our first live show back in Griffith park wow. and it was really cool. Like a few hundred people showed up, which is, was, I mean, that's bigger than we normally get a month. Um, but it was just very much people craving that community and wanting to come out. So I think we're going to try to do one more, everybody go, go El Fresco and then see what's up. Cause permits permitting that is such a wonky thing where like, Basically, the way to do it is like, don't get caught. Like, just don't be a jerk. <laughs> the right. police came to the last one. They were like, we did get a few complaints, but felt like this was a pride event. So we wanted to let it go. It was not a pride event. We just looked that gay. So we were like, absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just market it that way. I guess next time you have to worry about permits, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I've been oh. really inspired, inspired by like the pink clouds in, um, New York, who most of their shows are like busking shows. Mm -hmm. So that, so like, look, at that's a great example of like, I know who they are from L.A., but I reached out to them about power outside, like how to source some power. Mm -hmm. And then they were like, oh, this is what we use. Also, we're coming to L.A., so now I'm going to see them. So oh, that's cool. what I mean. Like, I, like I, networking. It's a cool space. Yeah. yeah right. Right. Networking. Uh-huh. Well, you are, I mean, essentially, right. You're trying to, you're talking with them. They're trying to figure out how they got their stuff going. And then now you can kind of check them out and build off of really what they're able to sort of do in, yeah. in, in New York, so to speak. Absolutely. And the yeah. idea of like creating, you know, creating a music and a space for people to dance to and like kind of connect to. Mm -hmm. We had a couple of little kids at our last show and it was like really kind of cool to see like there was a, you know how babies wear those headphones, noise canceling things. Oh yeah, sure. My there kids like had those. Little, <laughs> yeah, I had a little baby dancing, and I'm, you know, singing. My music's not so, you know, R-rated, but it's, you know. No, and it's yeah. Questionable. 
Eh, I mean, it's not very, it's not, it's not really, really bad. Yeah. R rated was a, is a good point. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm curious to know. So you put out, take one thing off in 2018, you said. The, I think so. So the, it came out in 2018, then we did a big live show in LA. And from that, it just became clear that the music not didn't matter without the comedy, but that was where the zone was. So then that year, it, yeah, right after it came out, I went and made this digital series and almost killed myself. Did have a minor mental breakdown. It's too much work. I mean, creating content like that is just, I wasn't, I didn't sleep for a year and you go, I didn't have a mental break, but I had one night where I, I like was just really aggressively talking to myself. And I was like, this isn't good. I got to mm -hmm. stop. Well then stop. Like it was just one yeah. of those nights where I was like, I got to sleep for a minute. Um, yeah. And then we went, we turned around and did it again the next year. So then that came out 2019. Yeah. Cause it screened at slam dance 2020. And at that point we'd already shot the majority of comedy electronica, but because of COVID, everything started getting weird. So we had to release the music videos early, but we hadn't finished them. Oh. And so we ended up having to shoot five music videos during COVID. And again, I'm on a teeny tiny label and their whole thing is they're artist friendly. But I was like, I'm not doing these videos. And they were like, we have to, and you have to, you know, meet this schedule. And I was like, what do you want from me? Like, I can't. <laughs> And they're like, yeah, no, we just need you to follow your vision. <laughs> no, you're not being supportive. But <laughs> to their credit, we finished the five videos. That's why the Common Electronica broke into two, which I kind of think is a bummer because it's such a cohesive album. And I think it's got such a cool vibe that listening to one half or the other half, just feel, I hate it. I wish it was one album. Um, really? Oh, desperately. Because... They're not in the right order. I mean, look, they were released in order of these videos are done now. That's an EP, which I disagree with. But going back to my indie roots, I went and made, whoops. Um, I went and made um, Utopia as a, as a feature length piece. So I may re-release -re Comedy Electronica as the Utopia soundtrack. One of the gifts of being a comedy musician is like, your music's not consumed a ton as music. It's mostly watched. So you can mm -hmm. do stuff like that. You can re-release whatever you want. It doesn't mess up your listening counts. You're fine. Sure, sure. Well, I was going to, that's curious to know because like you said, it was supposed to be one big piece because I feel like scouted out the first song on the second record should be the first song on the whole thing, right? Duh. I mean, like, yeah, Duh. you're kind of like, hey, this is me. This is all about you're you're describing everything about yourself, so to speak, in the in the song. But to have it yeah. as the first song of the scene now, I thought that was just like, OK, we're coming out with volume two. This is another thing. I didn't realize it was all put together at the same time. Yeah, I I have a wonderful habit. I think because I'm in my writing and acting career, I'm in I've been in development for so long. Like, I mean, literal like I mean, with networks and stuff, getting a show to air takes like can take years and if you go if you don't get picked up to series like all that work kind of disappears so i think because of that cycle i like having an indie because it's very slow i like having an indie thing that i can like stay up late and blood sweat and i'm well, the first time i saw whiplash i remember being like what am i supposed to do run lines until i bleed like sing <laughs> i don't understand that work model for me but so now i think it's these indies um and so 
going into you going into tape if i had done if i had directed anything substantial before i would have known that take one thing off was a horrible idea it was we did not have the money we didn't have the bandwidth but instead i was an idiot i was naive and i was like we can do this and to my credit we did yeah and so then to turn it around and i was like bigger and better yo so we wanted to do a feature and because of something outside of our control that happened in production, which happens. And because of COVID, it ended up just totally it. There were so many times where I was like, I don't know what quitting looks like, but I want to quit. But it's all just me having the hubris to go, "Ah, I can do this. And (laughs) if you believe, but I was thinking about it as a director that like, that's a lot of what directing is. It's just being like, it's just kind of being kind of a Steve Jobs to the world and being like, I think we can do this. And right. then, you know, so things went wrong. Utopia is a year behind schedule, not a crazy year to be behind. We ended up shooting five of the music videos, two were animated. And then three, we shot, well, two, we shot in my apartment with two other people. Fortunately, wow, my, what my, was that like? Awful. My pod pod was a producer and a director like that was that was the only people I was in a room with. And so which I feel lucky about the joke was that I would always be like, we done by five, two in the morning. And we're like, you know, but I'm glad we did it because I just think deadline. It's kind of why I like TV over film. In TV, you have a certain amount of time to work on something and then that episode has to come out. So, sure. you know, maybe an edit, you, you don't get to like sit with a single frame for so long and go, is it this, is it that? I should be <laughs> cut it, do it again. Like you don't <laughs> get that. So it was, it, in some ways, I'm really grateful that the label was like, do it. Because the next video we're doing, which is not on the label, we've been trying to shoot this video for like two or three years, but we just keep not having time and, In some ways, it was nice during COVID when things were so crappy for the label to be like, unfortunately, we don't care. Mm -hmm. End of the week. Or that's crazy you can say that. (laughs) Well, you came from TV. I mean, you had a big, you're on a show, a big, pretty big show, right? I mean, Mary and Jane was a pretty successful show. Yeah, Mary and Jane was great on MTV. Um, That in my, so... Before that, I was on a show about being a stand-up called Funny Girls. Oh, that I sure. Did. Yeah, yeah, on Oxygen. And then Mary and Jane switched my life. It switched how I was represented, and it switched how the industry saw me. And from there, um, the first thing I did was make a short film between the pilot and the series called Love in the Last Five Days. And from then, it was like, okay, Scout's a creator is usually the word. Mm-hmm. Um and so I still audition and I still work and I shot a special for epics that has a lot of music in it. But right now there, I do have a sense that things need to consolidate a bit again, because you, you can get too scattered, you know, like I audition a lot. I work a lot, but if that was the only thing I did, I would do it more. I love doing multiple things. Even in the show I just sold, they were like, wait, we want you to sing in it. So you're like, sure. And so now there's a song in it, which is a fun, you know, thing to be able to have. And I also feel really lucky that like, I I feel so fearless as an artist because like there have been so many chapters of my career where I never understand when people are like, I haven't worked in a year. I'm like, 
then throw an event, like write a one woman show, you know, I, I love every aspect of my career and having worked on Mary and Jane was actually a really wonderful set, but having been on bigger sets, those aren't always the most fun. Like maybe that's what you get known for. And, and money is really, really helpful everywhere in terms of being able to create things or, mm-hmm. or, you know, getting a massage after you create the thing and you're really tired. Um, but man, man, there's just something kind of cool about going out with a camera and figuring it out. And now you can't, I mean, you've always been able to, but like my friend who's a well-known DP was just like, I feel like my job is becoming obsolete because people understand key light fill, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. I know. I was, I was thinking of that too, uh, because now everybody thinks that they're a cinematographer, right? An editor. And it's like, okay, we get it. You have a cell phone that has a camera on it, but like it, it, there's quite a bit more that's going on here than than, than most people think. And then with TikTok and stuff yeah. like that, it's like anyone could just be shooting whatever garbage yeah. in their house and it could go viral, get millions of play, millions of views. My take on that is they're separate industries. TikTok is a separate economy. But like, I, I'm i not, I mean, look, my series is on YouTube, but mm-hmm. that's YouTube in its own economy. But I will say that stuff like that, um, TikTok is taught about like, multiple Im- images in a, f- in a static frame, you know, maybe you can mm-hmm. have two of you or like, um, like whip edits, whip pan edits. Yeah. Whip pans. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, Oh, everyone can do that now. Cool, 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 cool. That used to be like a thing we thought was cool, but especially right. cause I love practical effects. It's like my favorite thing. Oh, sure. Yeah. And, and well, even with when the newer final cut came out, it became like a plug in for everything. You didn't have to sit and build the whip pan. <laughs> that would take you hours. <laughs> I'm like right in the middle of old school and new school in terms of making stuff. Like I believe you should make stuff with your friends on whatever budget you have, but also I hate TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I can't get into it. I, I have a 13 year old kid. That's something that's all about 13 year old kid. Uh huh. He's all about those TikTok. but you support it. Uh, I mean, what am I going to do? Tell him no, (laughs) he's going to do it anyway. I, we have what we made one for our podcast and it's like hard to like, I'm looking, looking at her followers. I'm like, this is so pathetic, but it's like, how do I even get into this? Like, I can't even like itch into this market. It's just so crazy. But the label was like, do more TikToks. I was like, no, I make music videos back off. (laughs) Well, you can kind of, is it hard to translate them into TikTok or is it just like a different audience? It's a a different vocabulary, but that said, for example, the live show that we just did, there's a woman who got, big on TikTok and she started a like a, I don't know event curate an Instagram that's queer field day so queer field day posted about our event and that day we had 100 RSVPs wow right so I and I do like what she does I can't do I don't make tiny tiny short form content it's just not how my brain works and letting that go I think is a huge part of like it's the difference to me between staying i'll say relevant like in your industry like working in your industry and doing the thing you love without being like you know too old to wear a crop top which you're never too old to wear a crop top but like you you age out of certain things like or certain like my brain does not think in tiktoks it thinks in music videos Mm -hmm. the same way that my friend the cinematographer's brain does not think in ring lights so like stay where you are make (laughs) 
if you just keep adapting to what's going on, you're going to look out of fashion. You, you're going to look like, you know, you're wearing, I just keep imagining like, you know, someone in like Axl Rose jeans that are like bedazzled on the butt that just look like put chill out, man. You're okay. <laughs> chill out, man. <laughs> yeah. You definitely do have to adapt or you you'll definitely get lost there. It'll be obvious that you're the old, old person there at the party. But when I try to like <laughs> fit in with the TikTokers, not even age wise, it's just not intuitive to me. And that reads, that's the same with stand up. It's not that I'm not funny. I am, but my, the way I am, the purest me form of funny is a more theatrical experience. That mm-hmm. means I'm not going to rise traditionally through the, the club circuit in stand up, but it means my scripted career will be more fruitful or, or, or different. And I'm uh-huh. grateful for that. I, we put such an emphasis on consuming media who, how many people have consumed it. And I virility to me is a great example. You can have a billion people see literally see whatever your dog sneeze on a butterfly, but that does not happiness make that said, I'll watch that video. I love that. You know, I watch plenty of goats yelling and other goats and stuff. But I just mean everything has its place. And and I do not think TikTok replaces cinema, even mm. though they do kind of exist in the same realm. Sure. I, I like how you brought up the go- or the sneeze on the butterfly because you say one of your songs like about liking a dog video on Instagram or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. I, my dog has an Instagram. I can't, I live in a glass house on all fronts. I can't, not a popular one, but she does yeah. have an Instagram. And you're in your van. Do you, do you, it's like a sprinter, right? I yeah, a I, of it. oh, I, you want a picture? What'd you say? No, I said, I saw a picture of it on your Instagram. Oh, no, and I, yeah. I would like a photo of it if you don't mind sending one over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I bought the van over Christmas after you looking at them for years and years and then sublet my apartment and then decided I don't like urban van life. It kind of sucks for me and I have a dog. So... I now have the van. I'm out in the van right now, traveling around. I'm actually at a film festival in Walla Walla, Washington that we just pulled up to. Wow. Um, yeah, they're screening some of Con Electronica, which is cool. They reached out to me. Um, so I'm in front of the hotel, which <laughs> feels like a very... But so yeah, I have the van. And then in the fall, I'm going to land in a tiny home as well. So I'll have two rooms that aren't connected. But I love the van and I love like nature. And I think I got really into minimalism so I, I really like not having stuff like oh, aggressively. I sure. I actually, right now I have one Tupperware, like big Tupperware under my friend's bed. That's all framed photos. But other than that, this is it, yo, this is that's what, cool. oh, and then I have a box of yearbooks and photo albums at my dad's house. That's cool. Yeah. We just moved to, to Nashville from San Diego and, uh, when we were packing up our house to move here, it was like, oh my gosh, like I just tried to get rid of as much stuff as I could. And we, and thinking about it now, cause we we're living off, like uh, my desk is on a poke, like a card table now. Yes. And like, we're eating off card tables. We have like nothing except for beds and like a couple TVs. And it's like, we, we've been here since March and we really don't need much else. And it's like, we have this whole pot of crap <laughs> that's just sitting, waiting for us to load it into our, place and it's you haven't our, even unloaded oh it's not even about buying stuff it's unloading it well we we have our house is being built right now we, we moved okay. and bought a house and we uh 
so it's not ready. So we're living temporarily in an apartment. So it's like, but while oh, we're yeah. waiting for the house, it's like we have all this crap or all of our stuff from our old house sitting in a pod. And it's like, we've been living off just these few things since March. So it's like, do I really even, do we really even need to go grab all that junk? I mean, there's definitely sentimental stuff in there, but it's funny yeah. to think about it. Like we haven't needed it for this long. Like, why are we going to need it? Like, I don't even remember what's in there to be honest. Yeah, that's part of, so I moved into my apartment. It's this big, beautiful dream one bedroom. And I spent a big chunk of COVID like being like, I guess a carpet. People have carpets. All right, let me get a rug. Uh, people are going to want to sit places. Let me find a chair. And like, I try to be pretty, not zero waste, but low waste. I try to buy used uh -huh. more often or, or only. Uh, so it took forever. And then I finally got all this stuff. And I was like, I just feel like, I don't know. There's something really cool about knowing that you just, I don't know. It, it, it clears your brain out. But then I learned from going full-time van life. I was like, well, if you simplify too much, things actually get really complicated. And I was like <laughs> trying to figure out where I could keep my dog and like, like I have to dye my hair and I'm like, what do I, I can't go to, what do I dye my hair? I have a shower, but like, it's not, it, that would just be a nightmare. So be a mess, right? Mess. Yeah, getting the dye but I have, out. <laughs> and like it would dye the thing. And like, I don't know if it's toxic or, you know, I don't, cause I have like a little outdoor shower that I usually use. Anyway, you end, I ended up relying on friends a lot, which I'm really okay. grateful for because it like, it made a lot of projects in the van really fun. And, and coming off COVID, like that was a lonely freaking time. I spent, you know, however many months alone in that one bedroom. My, you know, with friends, but like, there's only so many virtual happy hours. I feel right. like virtual happy. <laughs> it went from like, how are you holding up? And like, we'd all kind of dress up to just like us, like already four glasses of wine into the day, just being like, <laughs> I don't know, are you alive? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've been partying since 11 a.m. Like, are we at this happy hour yet? <laughs> and I, the whole time I was working on this one script, and my rule is usually when I'm writing, I can eat. I can eat whatever I want, whenever I want. But when I'm writing, I'm like, wine, Doritos, peanut M&Ms, you got it, girl. And I just like, I hit a point of COVID where I was like, I don't even want any more Doritos. Like, no, you can't take away this treat. I was wow. like, I just want my life back. <laughs> sure. So you said you just sold a, a script or sold yeah. a show? Is it? You talked about having a singer in it. Is it like a music bass at all or no? No, it's oh, okay. um, it's inspired by uh, my philosophy on relationships. It's such a funny story. And right now, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with it. They were like COVID changed a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but like the team around it, we just had a call yesterday. And I said, I was like, I have so much faith in this project, despite all these delays, because I believe so strongly in the people who believe in it. So I just being in that situation is great. You, it's hard to insult your work or to feel like I'm not good enough when people you truly respect have signed on, you know, mm -hmm. to direct or whatever. So, um, but it's the show. It's a great, they were passing on another. I was pitching another show entirely about my old burlesque career and burlesque MC and blah, blah, blah. And they passed on it. But I said something about, like my relationship philosophy, which is like, I just don't think you sh are either single or in a relationship. I think there's so many other options and polyamory tends to focus on like the sexual aspect of relationships. And 
that's certainly part of why I show up, but not the only reason. And so slowly but surely we talked about essentially my philosophy of, which isn't, it's not like I walk around and go, oh, but um, (laughs) friends is family. That is funny though, because at my show now, we just pour, we would walk around the audience pouring champagne and everybody's mouths going, queer be with you. (laughs) 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 And then one of my friends was like, I'm so worried about COVID. And I was like, nobody's mouths touched the bottle, but totally fair. No pressure, zero pressure. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) So that, that's amazing though. Congratulations on, I know that's like so difficult to do to get them to sign off and, 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 you know, sell a script or sell a, yeah. sell a show. So. And you kind of have to learn your place in the, in the, where to, in that feel sorry for yourself line. Like when Mary and Jane got canceled, I was so bummed out. And then I looked around at like, because MTV swept their develop or their um, scripted board. So they canceled three shows at one time and, and there was kind of a regime change. So I was like looking at executives who were like, I got to find another job and my kids. And I was like, I'm going to be fine. Like I can't <laughs> feel sorry for myself, but you know, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, Scout, thank you so much for talking with me today. I really appreciate it. Of course. Enjoy Nashville. I hear great things about it. We love it so far. Uh, unfortunately, we haven't really been able to enjoy the like live music scene yet because people aren't doing much. Well, I mean, it's yeah. opening up now, which is nice. So is hopefully in this, yeah, soon, sooner than later. Uh, but yeah, thank you again so much for doing this. I have one more question for you. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. Um, yes. My piece of advice is make yourself laugh. Always make yourself laugh first or always make sure you're making yourself laugh. Whether that's make like, if you're making music, make something that you love because otherwise you're not going to enjoy it. And the audience is going to see through it. So I'm a comedian. So I tell jokes that I think are funny and hope that people want to come along with me on the ride. <laughs> 